Welcome back. Today on the podcast, I bring you the conversation I had with Cal Duford. Cal has had amazing success in his professional career. He is currently the creative director for a marketing agency called The Brand Leader. Um, throughout his entire career, he has worked on incredible projects. He's had great success. Um, a niche that he hit, that he has his expertise in is growing online sales, growing online businesses for these companies. He's been a contributor and a writer to publications like Men's Journal um, and Men's Health. He's worked on projects for Nike. Um, he's really been at the top of the industry. But with all that success and talking with Kyle, he lost his way um, through his professional career, through his personal life, and has recently reconnected with his first fiance. Of, they, did, they went 20 years without talking. And he credits the person he is right now today a lot on that reconnection and him finding himself again. And he went through some dark times. And uh, but I think he will tell you today that he's the happiest he's ever been. And he recently um, released his first book, his first autobiography called Twice Found. And Cal's a really interesting person and he's done so much in his life. But he also has so much more to live and give. And uh, I can't wait to see what he continues to do and continues to grow. And I really enjoyed the conversation with Kyle. And I uh, hope you do too. Also, um, it's a big week coming up for Engineered Sleep. We have Black Friday coming up where they have really some incredible sales going on where it'll be 15% off all site-wide. It'll be free shipping. You can save up to 700 bucks. Um, so be on the lookout for that this coming Black Friday, um, this Black Friday, um, the sale will go on till December 1st. Um, so it'll be 15% off all site ride, um, free shipping, and uh, it's a great time to get a new mattress. Um, you really can't ask for a better deal. So go to engineeredsleep.com and be on the lookout for their Black Friday sale coming up and uh, get yourself whatever you need from their website to uh, make sure you and your family and your loved ones are uh, sleeping better for the holidays and for years to come. So um, enjoy the episode. Make sure to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcast. Um, share it with some friends and family. And without further ado, here is my conversation with Cal Duford. Welcome to Live Life in Motion, where the goal is to bring you conversations that give you the power of education, so you can use those tools to optimize your life on a personal and professional level to better yourself, your community, and those around you. Kyle, thank you so much for coming today. I'm excited for you to kind of take me to class. <laughs> Teach okay. me a little bit today. Okay. Um, how are you, man? I'm doing well. Yeah, this is uh, good to have, just good to be here, I guess. You know, we were talking about I live right down the road, so this right. has been fun. It is. How long have you lived in Greenville? Uh, coming up on almost four years. Yeah, so not too long. We are happy to have you. Yeah, thank you. It's home now. Like, I mean, it was home when I first walked in, and I'll die here. Yeah. I mean, not here in your studio, hopefully. <laughs> but hopefully in Greenville one day in the future. <laughs> sure. All right. Well, I'm excited, really, to have this conversation because it's a new conversation I've never had on the podcast, and I'm really interested to learn about it because I think it's something I can improve on without a doubt, but I think it's something that's misunderstood in a lot of ways, mm. too, about what you do for the people you work with, yeah. the clients you work with. 
And kind of a simple question to start out with is what is branding? Yeah, that's a big question, isn't it? Uh, in many ways, it's super simple mm-hmm. to answer, but everyone thinks they're a brander. Everyone thinks they know what it means. <laughs> Uh, I talk about David Ogilvy, the famed ad man of the 1960s. You might have heard about him in Mad Men, but um, <laughs> big advertising giant in the 60s. Ogilvy oh, yeah. advertising still around. He says a, a brand is the intangible sum of basically its parts. I'm paraphrasing. Meaning it's not just a logo. It's not a logo. Mm-hmm. It is all the things that surround it. Uh, it's things like how you answer the phone or the experiences you have, customer service, the product you have, how you ship it the speed of returns, all those things. Uh, if you're Starbucks, it's the consistency of you know the latte from Dubai to New York City. Mm-hmm. It's the color of the aprons because they're, you know, you think about manufacturing in different places, things can get wrong. So matching colors to Pantone colors and all of that stuff, which you don't think about, that's what reinforces and creates a brand. I say that a brand is basically just an emotional connection between a product, business, or service with a potential or current customer. It's just, it's a handshake deal with somebody you want to kind of engage with. When you work with a brand, what's the first thing you look at? Wow. Um, it kind of depends on what stage they're in because, or maybe who I'm dealing with the personality. Cause some people come in and, and they are the brand or mm-hmm. they think they're the brand or they want to be the brand. Uh, that happened yesterday, uh, in a meeting, somebody came in and said, I want to be like Walt Disney. I want to be known for me and I want to, I want my business to carry my name and be known for that. And I'm like, okay, well, even Walt Disney didn't say that on day one. You know, he want, Walt Disney didn't want to build Disney. Walt Disney wanted to make a living and get his animation studio off the ground mm-hmm. because he was in debt. So it's like, what's, you know, what's the so what there? Um, the first question is, who are you, really? Uh, what do you believe in? What makes you tick? Where do you want to go? Where do you want to be in the future? Uh, what do you want to sell? What service do you want to provide? Who are you? And that's really the, that's kind of the crux of it right there. So that would be... You know, you initially work with a client or a customer brand, and then you, you're trying to figure out who they are at the core. Mm-hmm. Totally. For you've had, you know, we could go through all your success and you've had done some amazing things in your career, but can you give us a brief background of where you came from and kind of where you are at today? I'm the worst at doing things briefly, but I'll try. All right. Um, I'll try and <laughs> you rain, you in. rain me in. Um, I basically started my career in magazines and writing and some design stuff. Uh, I owned a magazine. I founded a magazine called American Tri. It was a triathlon publication right when everyone started getting into the sport. And it was a perfect storm. We grew. We sold it to a competitor. I wrote for a bunch of other magazines after that as a freelancer, mostly men's adventure, outdoor magazines, like Outside, Men's Journal, things like that. From there, I moved into online content because I saw the writing on the wall. It was Mm -hmm. right around the recession. And people were, you know, just jumping shit from magazines. And, and there was a day where they would send, you know, Sebastian Junger or some really great, mm-hmm. you know, Tim Corliss and these guys um, out to uh, into Bali to do an article with a photographer. And now they use stock photography and mm-hmm. a staff writer researches on, online, <laughs> which can be just as compelling, just as good. But that that kind of the spirit wasn't there anymore. You mm-hmm. couldn't make a living anymore. So I jumped to online content. I was there for a bit. And then somehow I managed to move into uh e-commerce and online stuff. And I was able to craft a story about um, really just life and design and words and just added a product and it became e-commerce. And it was right kind of when e-commerce was moving from Yahoo stores and and like people didn't know what eBay was and Amazon had just started selling books only and people didn't know what to do. And uh, I was lucky. And I was, again, at another perfect storm where I was able to kind of jump on that 
um, that kind of industry for a while and did that for the bulk of my career. And um, somehow I decided to jump over to brands after that. So, uh, sorry, from brands to agency side. So I was with a bunch of awesome brands, um, Dr. Martin's being the most notable. Uh-huh. Um, I was at Nike for a hot minute on a special project, uh, Keen Footwear, Chrome Industries, Spec Products, some really fun uh, businesses and consulted with a ton more in the outdoor world. So now I, now I get a chance on the agency side to bring whatever knowledge I was able to glean to other businesses in a different way. <clears throat> I do want to talk about Nike for a second. Okay. Because this is my favorite brand. Okay. If you were to ask any, my nickname in high school, some people called me Swoosh because I wore so many Nike, Nike stuff. What did you do for Nike? I was uh, part of a digital team. Um, I was the director of, what was my title? I was director of um, global e-commerce projects or something like that. It was, uh, you know, one of these crazy names. Mm-hmm. They just like, hey, you want to come be with us for a bit? And I'm like, yeah. Um, <laughs> yes, I'm in. <laughs> I was, one of my passion projects there was trying to figure out how to get dynamic content served up to Nike customers. And what I mean is, we know, meaning we in the industry, you know that um, if you personalize content, if you service dynamic content to individuals who come to the site based on an audience segmentation, then you're more likely to get a conversion from them or have them engage with you. So basic example, I go to Nike, they know I'm a guy, so they're going to show me men's shoes. Mm -hmm. They know I'm a runner, they're going to show me men's running shoes. They know I'm a cushion guy because I do long distance or whatever, and they're going to show me a cushion trainer in (laughs) men's running shoes, right? So you just keep going down the funnel. If they show that to me first, I'm more likely to convert because I have less of a path to go through. Now, if I show up on Nike's homepage and they show me women's tennis products, not only is it harder for me to get through that journey, but I might Mm -hmm. bail. So the chances of me bailing are, are, are greater. So I was saying, listen, a lot of people have the, the Nike app, um, the Nike Running Club app, right? <laughs> so you, you've got the app, and they're shopping in stores, and I'm, everyone knows, well, if you're a runner, you know that you know 400 miles or so is about the lifespan of your shoes if you're, if you're running outside quite a bit. Well, the app knows how far I've gone. Uh-huh. You know what shoe I have. Why wouldn't you just say, hey, you got two weeks or so at your pace to get you know mm-hmm. whatever. You know the races I've done. You know the training I'm doing. Hey, you might want this stuff for your marathon that's coming up. You might want this. Hey, we noticed you had your fastest run last week. Here's, here's 10% off. I was trying <laughs> to put those things together. It didn't really work um, because at Nike, there's so many people doing so many different things, and, and our team wasn't big enough to have any influence. Uh, but that was the plan. And I don't think they've done it yet, but um, what a cool thing that would be, right, to, uh, to, to have your Nike app be your all-in-one mm-hmm. kind of ecosystem, kind of like Apple is with the Apple Watch. Yeah. They just know what's happening with you because you give them all your data. But why not serve content back to you based on that? Was this when you were living in Oregon? Yeah, I was in Portland. It was right at the end of my time there. Uh, I left Dr. Martin's. Well, I mean, let's be honest. I was fired from Dr. Martin's. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I was there, uh, gosh, maybe three months at Nike. So not too long. And unfortunately, it was right on the back of um, a lot of like the second phase of Me Too stuff. Mm-hmm. And there was about 12 or so Nike executives who uh, were caught up in that. Um, I didn't know them. I didn't work necessarily for them. Um, but they had done some things that were deemed necessary for them to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them was my boss's boss, and so he was the head of digital, I believe, if I'm remembering this correctly. And so they just kind of scuttled my program, and I was out. <laughs> so I want to talk about <clears throat> e-commerce, and I know that's not all you do now, mm-hmm. but it has a lot of your experiences in e-commerce. <clears throat> what do you see brands, clients, people you work with, what's the thing they do wrong the most? I mean, probably what we're talking about right now is just not understanding who your customer is. You have all this data at your fingertips. And if you don't use it, you're just missing out. 
And right now, most most consumerism is happening, you know, on online. And it wasn't just because of the pandemic or this post-pandemic phase. It was happening that way anyway. Mm-hmm. But now you're seeing all these folks who didn't have omni-channel resources or didn't have an online store or the swell of people that came out of the pandemic who didn't want to go back to work and started their own, like, you know, kind of like, a, you know, garage-fulfilled product yeah. company. Uh, influencer marketing uh, lent its share to, to this um, phenomena. Shopify has, like, increased their you know, 10x what they were selling. So it's going to that extreme if it hasn't already. And in the process of that, people get hung up on, oh, I need to have the best product if I'm reselling something, or I Mm -hmm. need to get this right or that right. And people are missing the human connection between understanding who you are and why you're there. And it goes back to that question you asked me about brand. What is a brand? What's the first question I ask people? It's like, who are you? Mm -hmm. When if you're asking your customer when they're coming to to the site, to their store, whatever, who they are, what they're interested in, and not just telling them something. You know, we talk a lot rather than we listen. Then you kind of, you miss the boat. So that's what I see. And listen, I've, I've seen this at, you know, places that have two orders a month. And mm-hmm. Dr. Martin's, we had hundreds of thousands of orders a year. It didn't matter. Like if you don't get that bit right, you're going to fail at the end. Now, if you're a commoditized item, if you're selling toilet paper, for instance, or something mm-hmm. that you can get anywhere, aspirin, whatever it is, um, then you're fine because you're, you're going to buy the product no matter what. Yeah. But if you're really a brand and you're trying to sell something that's going to serve somebody um, or or change their life somehow, and I'm not saying like change their life like it's going to turn upside down, but in the sense that you're they they want your product, it's meaningful to them, mm-hmm. then honor that relationship and treat them with the respect that they deserve. It sounds hokey, it sounds a little bit kumbaya, but it really really works. And the ones that do it well are the ones who really own that market share and they own the lifetime value of that customer. I mean, they'll be talking about Tom's Footwear. 50 years from now mm-hmm. because they know that they've been giving kids a pair of shoes every time they buy a pair. You talk about Zappos because yeah. of what they do with their unbelievable customer service. Brands like that who get it really just earn that respect and it becomes more of a handshake deal. It becomes part of who you are. Again, it sounds bizarre. It sounds weird, but I imagine you with Nike, you have a, an emotional connection with these guys. If they called you swoosh in high school, you know, like you're not going to go out and buy Adidas tomorrow. So that's a, that's a sacred thing and that might be kind of the last human connection we have these days in a digital world is you with a brand and whoever's helping you sell that product to you. <clears throat> that was my next question, the power behind these brands. There's so much power and influence that come with these companies and these brands. And I think now more than ever, it might be trickier to navigate sensitive topics and mm-hmm. sensitive content. Yeah. How much do you have to go into that when working with a brand about what to release, what to put on the website, what to the message to the customers because who knows it could be you know a year from now that that could have been wrong right right you know you have to know who you are and not placate the masses because if you pander to them then it becomes really disingenuous mm-hmm. and you can you can sniff that out pretty quickly you know we've all gotten emails from a brand or you know some kind of marketing material you used to get in your inbox and you can tell when they phone it in like someone's like, hey, John, you got to get the email out this week. And it's like, what are we going to talk about? I don't know. I'll send the email out. And you, you, it doesn't feel right, you know? It's kind of like sending a, a birthday message because Facebook reminded you. There's just something there that's not real, right? It's not, it's not palpable enough. And so the if you have that really good connection, it's, it's it, gosh, it just kind of works. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, Can you reshape a brand if they made some of those mistakes? 100%. 100%. Um, I think there's a lot of brands that want to 
I don't want to say jump on the bandwagon because there's really important social topics we're talking about today. Yeah. Um, whether it's, you know, transgender acceptance or whether it's, you know, females in the workplace or, mm -hmm. you know, racial equality. Those are very important issues. Brands have the power to tackle them and, and work with them and change people's opinion. You know, if, if there's a brand that you've been following for years and all of a sudden they say, no, this is important to us, the chances of them in, impacting you somehow and having that change your opinion is monumental. Mm -hmm. So you, they have a, kind of a social responsibility in and of themselves. But if they just do it to do it, that's where it becomes uh, inauthentic. And, you know, so many businesses, you know, jumped on the, the rainbow flag, um, you know, trend that sure. now they've kind of commercialized coming out where I've even heard some of my dear gay friends saying that, you know, pride isn't for them anymore. And it's kind of like this been, you know, June is this commercially accepted time to sell a rainbow, whatever. Mm -hmm. Now that doesn't take away from the fact that maybe somebody was really good hearted and wanted to support that community. Awesome. But when it comes out a way that doesn't quite feel like real and authentic, that they're just jumping on the next thing, mm -hmm. that's when it has, um, that's the hurtful power of a brand too. Very true. They're just seeing somebody make profit from maybe selling rainbow flags. Right. And they're not genuinely connected to that, mm -hmm. but they just start selling rainbow flags. Right. Now, now, say that same brand who does that, but then also gives back to... Um, you know, the, the different projects of, you know, uh, gosh, there's one great organization. I should know it. Um, you can put it in the show notes later. All right. Um, that we used to donate from Dr. Martin's. It was basically help high school kids who were coming out, prevent them from committing suicide. Super mm -hmm. important. You support them with the sales of your product or you get behind them or you promote them and you show how, how much good they're doing and how much they help. Now that's authentic. That's mm -hmm. a real connection. So if you can show what you're doing, Patagonia, perfect example. Mm -hmm. You know, they do not just one percent of the planet. They they have in the past donated all their sales from Black Friday to to one percent. They you know they change their factories. They change their shipping methodology to make sure that they can be more sustainable and do better for the environment. They encourage people to recycle their own product and not to buy more Patagonia gear. That's when you connect with people because you have the right to change because you're you're showing it. They're they're really talking the talk and walking the walk, yeah. and that's the that's the key. <clears throat> and that's where a lot of brands. You're right. They can lose their authenticity mm -hmm. when they are also are jumping all over the place. And you've talked recently about, or I guess for a couple of years now, about some personal growth you went through. Um, I think it was... I don't know how you know about this, but I'll, I'll take I it. I listen. I do okay. my research. Okay. But I think it was around the time you moved to Greenville now. Yeah. Was how did that change you three and a half, four years ago to where you are now, to what you were yeah. thought you were doing before or maybe the persona you wanted before yeah um yeah it's hard to articulate that time period it's pr probably one of the reasons why i don't like talking about some of the things i've done in the past because a lot of it i remember where i was mm -hmm. and i remember who i was and some of the people that i hurt along the way or or things i said that i wish i could take it back and uh so it's difficult but the long and the short of it was i was just a scared guy my whole life I probably a scared child even as a man and uh, going through life just trying to cover up a lot of shame and hurt and um, whatever it just kind of manifested into kind of this really thick skin that became like this persona um, a therapist told me while well, my therapist told me a long time ago that um, I had worn this mask for so long that it grafted to my skin so when I tried to remove it that was just as painful. It was like removing scales from you. Like it was like that stinging sensation you get in the shower, but like all over your body. Um, my 
my come to Jesus moment quite literally was um, just realizing that I didn't want to live anymore, that I was a ashamed of who I was, ashamed of the things I've done, ashamed of the people I've hurt, ashamed of the actions I had, the things I said. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, just decided to pull into the garage one day and shut the door and let the car run. And pretty quickly, I, I realized that this isn't a good idea. I, I have a number of children and, and I, I kind of imagined their life. And, and, and really quickly, I decided not to do that. Um, and then I just said, um, something's got to give, something's got to change. And I'll, I'll try to make this quick, but I went to I got fired. I was separated from my wife. We're, we're nearing divorce and uh, I was just a wreck. So she, to her credit, said, why don't you just get away? Now she wanted me to probably to decompress and, and, deal, <laughs> and probably get me out of the picture, but she goes, why don't you just go to Hawaii? It's one of your favorite places. So I took my bike and went to Hawaii for two weeks just to bike every day, run every day. And I don't know what possessed me to do this, but sometime on the flight, I'll, I'll never forget it, an Alaskan Airlines flight, I'm, I'm halfway between LA and and uh, Kahului in Maui. And I just said, okay, I don't know what's out there. Is it God, Jesus, the universe, mother nature? I don't know Mm -hmm. anymore. I don't know if I necessarily care, but I'm just going to be open to whatever you send my way. So I landed with this idea of what I call now like my yes man trip, where I was just going to say yes to whatever happened. Kind of like the Jim Carrey movie, but not quite as (laughs) bizarre. Um, Like I didn't learn other languages or anything. Um, But I landed and almost immediately... Uh, the Uber driver was like, do you want to sit in the front seat? I'm like, yeah. And these are things that I never would have done in my life. Being such a closed off, ignorant, um, hurt person that just manifested as just a really aggro kind of really asshole, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, sure. And just, which was a big step for me. And I'd sit in the front seat and uh, I'll never forget, she was a uh, little old Hawaiian lady. She was sitting <laughs> on the equivalent of like four phone books, but these big cushions and she was just a little tiny thing. And she was... Um, She's like, you know, do you want to get a cup of coffee? I'm like, okay. Like, <laughs> so we stopped at Starbucks and she's like, you know, I want a cup of coffee. I'm like, all right, I bought her a cup of coffee and we sat and uh, she had a cross hanging from her rearview mirror. And I'm like, what's that about? She's like, well, I love Jesus. And I'm like, okay, well, uh, I don't know if I do that anymore, but um, good meeting you. The person I rented a room from, the person at the bar, uh, a person I ran into on a hiking trip, like literally every person I opened myself up to at some point, the conversation turned to to Jesus and that they were a fan. Um, and I'm like, all right, I, this is crazy. So I, I just started realizing that if I could open myself up, it wasn't necessarily that I believe the Lord wanted a connection with me, but I, I opened myself up to the fact that there's other people out there who have a story to tell. Mm-hmm. And there's other people out there who deserve love. And if you just listen to them and engage with them, there's some really amazing people in this world. Mm-hmm. And I missed all that for unfortunately a good part of my life. And it culminated with uh, me sitting in a bar. I'd, I'd packed up my bike. I was leaving two hours later, and I sat at this one of my favorite little restaurants in, uh, in Paia, a little town on the North Shore. And I was having a margarita pizza and a beer and um, <laughs> just kind of like not wanting to go home to basically nothing, um, a concrete slab floor luxury apartment that was like a, a, a studio apartment size and 300 square foot. And uh, I had a TV, a bike, and a bed in it, and that was it. And just a lonely experience, not working right now, and so just didn't know what I wanted to do. And just miserable and didn't know what I was going to, life, I had no idea. And I look up on the TV um, and the person who was being interviewed on CNN was the gal that I was engaged to 21 years earlier. And uh, I hadn't seen her or spoken to her or friended her on social media in 21 years. So she pulled away from college to go home for the summer and we were supposed to get married later that summer. I was supposed to come down and 
because it was a pre-internet world, if you can imagine this, you know, there was no texting, there was no internet. Email was just coming online. We didn't have it. Her, she comes from a prominent family, and so her, her number was unlisted. And I just didn't know how to find her. And 21 <laughs> years later, I see her on TV, and um, I just wrote her, and I said, hey, I don't know if you remember me, but like you were important to my to me in my life. And um, long story short, I know it's too late, but uh, um, we connected up and we were both divorced and, um, or I was just finishing my divorce at the time and, and uh, we, we said, let's let's chat. And uh, she changed my, my life second time. And we got married shortly after and moved to Greenville. So we blended our family. So she's the absolute joy of my life. So she gets most of the credit for, if there's any, uh, any <laughs> positive thing that sits in front of you right now it's it's because of my my wife <clears throat> i can relate to you on that i have i've been through my own personal struggles through addiction through mental health through you know ups and downs in life right and like you said everyone has a story mm-hmm. and more authenticity and more stories more connection make you realize what's really important in your life and yeah. this yeah. for you maybe it was finding your fiance of 21 years prior. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can just think about as you were telling that story, I'm thinking it probably made you better in the workplace to work with, but also a different perspective you might have working with brands and how they connect with their customer. Mm-hmm. Have you seen a transition in that? You know, it's it's one of those things where I... I I was wounded for so long that it's almost it's almost equally as painful when someone points something out, you know, like, hey, you did you did uh, a good job, you know? It's it's kind of like you finally want the you finally want your dad to say out of boy and then it's just like weird to hear it, you know? <laughs> and it's almost as equally wounding. Um I try not to look for those things, but um my colleagues have told me that um and, and listen, my colleagues have become some of my best friends, uh, which is equally as weird because then you have to manage them and work with them and be friendly with them. But one of them is my brother-in-law and he came up to me a little while ago and he just goes, there's something, he knew me 21 years ago. And, um, and it, we, we reconnected when I, um, started dating his sister again and he was on our wedding and, you know, he's, he's probably my best friend. And he said, there's just something different. And I said, okay, like what? He's like, I, I don't know. Like there's just, there's just a different spirit about you. Yeah. Now. And he didn't mean 21 years later, but he meant a couple weeks later from things. So I think I'm on this ever going journey of just, Understand, understanding myself really yeah um the person who would have told um it, well, I, I didn't say this but one of those stories in hawaii there was this woman who was this really loud you said you lived in new york for a while yeah. really now <laughs> loud woman from new jersey and uh, i like uh, obnoxious i can loud. hear her now yeah just obnoxiously loud and uh i would sit at the bar because i didn't want to take up a table and that was just weird so I'd, i would sit at a bar and i just you know have a beer and a sandwich. It was the middle of the day. I'd just gone for a long run and I had a tuna fish sandwich. It was one of those fresh, like Maui caught <laughs> tuna. It's amazing. And it was like fresh with like this melted cheese, this big thing. And she goes, wow, that looks really good. Can I have a bite? <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like if it, just so you know, like even two weeks before that, I probably would have said like, what the F is wrong with you? Yeah, like yeah. get yeah. away, you know, and, and just dismissed her for not following the same paradigm that I mm-hmm. follow. And, you know, I would have been easily annoyed and probably made a scene and, like, asked the bartender to move and made it loud enough so she heard it was because of her and just really put her down in a way that she learned where her place mm-hmm. was from that point of view. 
And I looked at her and I said, okay. <laughs> and she takes this big chunk of my sandwich and, and she was like, she's like, wow, that's amazing. I'm going to order one. And I, th I think, I don't know if this is, I might be misremembered, but I think she may have took like another quick bite before she put it down. Um, and she asked me my name and why I was there. And I said, she was probably in the late 60s. And I said, um, well, I'm, I'm just here, just kind of riding my bike and hanging out, trying to find myself. And she goes, my brother's sitting right down here. I come to visit him. He's, he rides his bike and he's like in his late 50s. And she's like, you guys should ride together. <laughs> and I went, okay, you know, let's go ride together. <laughs> and and uh, But I'm thinking... Like, and this is the, just kind of the tool I was, I was thinking, I'm going to, I mean, I don't want to ride with this guy. He's going to be slow and he's like yeah, older yeah, than yeah. I am, whatever. And, uh, Henry was his name and he and I are still friends to this day. And we, we rent riding a few times and he just smoked me. <laughs> like, um, and, and again, it's just one of those things where when you open yourself up, you learn people's stories and you mm -hmm. learn about, you know, I don't know what her story was. I don't know, um, why she was there. I knew she was seeing her brother, but she could have been going through things and, who knows if me just being nice to her and being kind to her changed her life. And I can look back Very at my true. life and see how many people were who did that for me. And um, that's just special. And I, I wasn't wired that way. It's a, it's a learned thing and I'm not good at it. I'm trying. Um, but hopefully through my experiences, maybe I can redeem the back half of my life. You still riding your bike? No, almost daily. <clears throat> yeah. Going up to the mountains? Yeah, Paris Mountain here outside Greenville is great. I have to tell you, I'm, I'm a little bit more of a Peloton fan these days. Nice. Um, because uh, one of the things I love, um, uh, I've, been, I've been riding my bike since I was five. My brother raced in the velodrome back in Trexertown outside Pennsylvania, outside Allentown, Pennsylvania. And so bicycling has always been in our family. And uh, obviously the triathlon magazine and things. So I've been on a bike probably more than I've been off of it. And, you know, I'm, I'm not great, but I, I'm good for my age kind of thing. And I, I, uh, I raced a little bit as an amateur, not very good, um, but enjoyed it. And but what I realized was I rode to escape. I rode to get away from people. I rode to be alone. Um, and now when I ride my bike outside, I just, I can't wait to get home. It's a completely different feeling. And sometimes I rode to get with my previous wife, like we, because I didn't want to be home and that was just an unpleasant time for both of us, I would just go out for five hour rides on Saturdays. Mm -hmm. And so... Now my wife's on the treadmill, I'm on the bike, we're in the same room, um, and it's the best part of my day because I get to do that with her. And when, you know, we ride together, at, uh, sorry, run together outside sometimes. And so my riding now is limited, but it still brings the same joy. I guess now I get to do it with somebody else. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> How did you and your family grow through the pandemic? Uh, wow. That was, um, well, no one knew. I mean, I think, I think we all look back now with these clouded you know, goggles, right? right? Um, we're armchair quarterbacking in nowadays. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, it was tough. It was. Um, we had just uh, opened up a new office, and we moved everybody in and was super excited. And a week later, we had to send everybody home. <laughs> and I remember having the conversation um, with the CEO of our company uh, and saying, like, you're overreacting. Like, this is this is nuts. Mm -hmm. I'm like, and, and I'm like, I'm not going to, like, sky isn't falling. And, you know, a week later, I mean, it just came on like an anvil, right? And so we just, we sent everyone home, and... Um, my stepdaughter uh, lives in at the time lived in Colorado, and she moved home. And uh, my wife has uh, another son and another daughter from her previous marriage. And I've got two little ones and an older one. And my older one was stuck in Texas uh, at at uh, her school in San Antonio. My two little ones were with their mother in in Denver. Um, we were able to fly home the oldest daughter, um, and so we had we had three of them there for a bit. 
and then we had five of them for, for a bit. <laughs> but the what we were able to do was I was able to work from home, um, and we'd have a morning stand up every day from on Zoom at nine fifteen every morning. We'd have everyone on the computer. Um, like I said, working out with my wife every morning, we'd walk around the neighborhood, we'd go for a run around the neighborhood, we'd have coffee together, mm -hmm. the kids would wake up, we had breakfast, lunch, and dinner together as a family. Mm -hmm. We had a little uh, porch in the backyard at the house we're in, and uh, after work, um, my wife, would she'd crack open a cider, and I'd have a little beer, and the kids would come out, and we would just sit on a little porch together, and just with the dogs, and, and it, it, I don't know if it brought us closer together, because we're a pretty close family, but in the sense that we were able to... In, enjoy what unfortunately was really bad for a lot of people we, mm -hmm. we were blessed to have that opportunity to just to just delve into one another uh, and then when the two little ones were able to come out they drove out and we were able to, to meet up with them for the summer for like almost 10 weeks we had five of the six with us and it was just this glorious time of just really feeding into one another mm -hmm. very few arguments very few fights just eating dinner as a family cleaning up watching you know tiger king together like everyone was <laughs> and it was just it was really awesome and we moved from that house kind of in the middle of that summer of 2020 we we moved away and we just kind of had this little thing where we just kind of asked what a memory was and we do it on birthdays and things and every year and we said what was a good memory in this house and to a person everybody said it was the last six weeks together in that mm -hmm. house i mean we were like in the house didn't leave. we didn't let the kids leave you know we're like you're in here you know if you go outside to to exercise that's it and you know it was it was great so but i do know of a lot of folks that were home alone mm -hmm. and who were impacted one of our so one of our dear friends was in new york city moved there a month before lockdown didn't know a soul um wasn't allowed to go to work stuck in a like a new york city apartment mm -hmm. for six months and that's hard and so i don't want to take away any of that for those people because it was a difficult we were very blessed to have that time together and that's something I can relate with you on is looking back we can all look back now and it was a horrible time for a lot of people and I mean you can't even really put into words like what a lot of people were going through but one thing that a positive I took from it was the relationship I built with my fiance mm -hmm. and really having conversations and opening up and you know a lot of things where like you said you would escape and go on a run and you know, go to work or that wasn't there anymore. Right. So you almost had to face each other and mm -hmm. have these conversations and be with each other and, and interact with each other. Is there anything you do to work on your self on a daily basis or your mental health? Is it meditation? Is it exercise? Yeah, it's kind of all of it really. Yeah. Um, exercise has uh, always been a part of my life. I mean, if I stop exercising, I can, I can gain weight like on a dime. Look at me the wrong way and I gain 20 pounds. So like, <laughs> I have to, and I have done in the past. So I've done that and I don't like to do that. Um, it just makes me feel better. Mm -hmm. um, I do a lot of my thinking when I exercise. So I solve a lot of problems when I'm on a bike or on the Peloton, whatever it might be. Like I, it's just in my head and it, I sleep better. And so that's super important to me. But uh, I'm glad you brought up mental health, and you said you struggled with some mental health issues in yeah. the past, and and I didn't realize that I had struggled with depression a, a good chunk of my life, and I didn't realize that that was um, it, it was uh, I don't want to say curable because I'm not sure if that's you know I don't know if we understand our brain well enough to mm -hmm. say that it's manageable. Let's say that, and I was so afraid of telling anybody, and I mean I don't want to cry in your house, but. Um, I was so afraid because it was like I saw it as something that, and a lot of people did you know a child of the 80s you know it was a shameful thing to say sure. that you struggle especially as a man and realizing and my wife again big part of this I I went from this really closed off guy who was super wounded 
to being this really open guy. And like I said, like I, I felt everything. Mm -hmm. So imagine your skin full of scales and just ripping it off. And it was like nothing, like a burn victim. Like mm -hmm. I felt everything. And a good thing made me cry. A bad thing made me cry. A really bad thing made me weep. And sometimes I would just be thankful for this life and just I couldn't handle the emotion and I would mm -hmm. just bawl and I couldn't I couldn't handle my emotions at all it was just these swinging mood levels and my wife said you know you but part of it could be depression part of it could be just this new thing but like it's okay to get this regulated and I'm like no 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 <clears throat> drugs are for you know sissies mm -hmm. and, and and I couldn't have been more wrong and I, and I went to see a really good doctor and he's just like let's just see if we can just kind of keep you even killed and um I've been medicated now for three years and yeah. it's that's a huge part of helping me control just the the swings as far as my daily routine I work out every day um, but it starts in the morning I wake up with the person I love most in life mm -hmm. and we we spend probably an inordinate amount of time in bed in the morning just watching the Today Show and drinking too much coffee and, <laughs> and that is that's our favorite time together because yeah. we get to just experience that. And, and, you know, loving somebody and having somebody love you back in that way really helps quite a bit. Um, I try to read scripture every morning. I'm not perfect at that. Um, I find that if I do, I just feel a little bit more grounded for whatever reason. And um, the rest of it is just trying to be really in touch with my own character for the day. Mm -hmm. And if I have a bad morning, if somebody cuts me off in traffic and I got to know that I wear that into the office and everyone everyone who knows me if anyone who knows me is listening to this they, they would probably be laughing that I'm probably the most transparent person they've ever met like <laughs> if I try to hide my feelings I can't like everyone just knows you know how I feel about you they know how I feel about myself if I'm in a bad mood or not and it's it's a horrible characteristic but I try I try to be aware of that mm -hmm. and I've caught myself recently when someone asks me how I'm doing I go you know what I'm actually having a really bad day mm -hmm. just want to let you know that instead of treating them a certain way and then being afraid to apologize because I was weak mm -hmm. um, and then having someone just be decimated because of my words. So I'm trying to be better at that. So I know I'm kind of all going all over the place. No, but you're good. My morning is, is you know, it's, it's a frenetic amount of energy to try to understand what's going to come my way that day, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. I think vulnerability is really the greatest strength people can have. Because um, when you open up and you talk to people and you have real conversations with people there's a weight lifted off of people that they don't even know they had on them you 100%. know what I mean and have you ever seen have you watched Ted Lasso oh yeah yeah do you cry during Ted Lasso uh yeah uh, of course there's... I do too so that's fine <laughs> and you know but you know what I find really interesting is is the points where I cry mm -hmm. and um it's it's not I don't think it's where it's not the feel good tear jerking story it's usually where I'm just like I wish I could be that you mm -hmm. know it's a gosh like I you can't make me cry today I've got a big day in front of me come on um, <laughs> let it out I'm just kidding <laughs> do you remember I, I don't want to ruin it for anyone but if you uh, if you remember the first season that the, the the last episode where he's throwing darts mm -hmm. um, that just I love just that crushed me because it was. It was um, it was him saying. First of all, he was doing it to save somebody else, mm -hmm. to save their character, um, which I thought was brilliant and yeah. sweet in every level. But he was using his story about how people used to misjudge him as a way of his redemption story, mm -hmm. as a way of redeeming somebody else. And that to me was like, if I could be used in that way one day, like I would be, 
you know, I'd be happy. That was hard for me to watch. Um, the scenes this year about fathers, that was tough, mm-hmm. um, really tough. There's so many, there's so many father wounds in that whole story. Um, mo- most all the male characters have some kind of issue with a, with a male figure in their life, and, and that just was hard for me. So, um, yeah. I, I love Ted Lasso, and I, you're right. I mean, the person Ted Lasso is, is someone we can all relate to, mm-hmm. and, but the way he treats people. And he cares about people and he cares about the genuine connections and building people up is, I mean, it makes my skin crawl. Just thinking about how awesome it is. Live Life in Motion podcast is brought to you by Engineered Sleep. Engineered Sleep is a mattress manufacturer and they are based out of Greenville, South Carolina. They have been making mattresses for as long as I can remember and their main goal is is to make finding the quality mattress for you as easy as possible. Um, They have a showroom in Greenville, but you can also visit them at their website, engineeredsleep.com. If you go to their website, use code LIVE10 and you will get 10% off. As you guys know, sleep is the number one thing you need to focus on for good health. And it all starts with your mattress. So stop putting it on the back burner. Go get yourself a mattress from Engineered Sleep and start living a better life. And getting back to your work now here in Greenville, what? Uh, well, that's a massive shift, right? Let's talk about vulnerability and then work. Again. No, but I, no, I think with brands, they have to have a sense of vulnerability. Yeah. By seeing what they've done, where they can get better, and then how they can move forward with where they want to go. Mm-hmm. Um, when you work with brands, do you are you selective? Are there brands you won't work with? Yeah, yeah actually there are. And no one's ever asked me that. Um, but we only work with brands in which we believe in. And when, when, when I say believe in, it doesn't mean we necessarily have to use their product because a lot of them are B2B businesses or service businesses. We, don't, we have to believe in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. We have to get behind their story and why they're doing it. Um, it's hard when you work with someone who has really narcissistic tendencies and it's very easy for me to spot those things. Um, and it's it's difficult when someone has an idea of who they are, which isn't reality, or their business isn't reality. And I don't want to knock them down, but you have to be honest and be like, there's no amount of work that I can do or my team can do to help mm-hmm. you achieve what you want to do unless you work on yourself or your business, right? It could be both. And um, and so, yeah, there's businesses. We know. There's also some that we're not going to, like, we don't do tobacco products or, you know, things like that because we don't want to <laughs> do harm to the world. But um for the most part, you know, if someone comes in and says, I believe I can do this with my product uh, and they can get us fired up about it, they just don't know how to get there, then sign me up. What would be, as we're kind of wrapping up here, what would be your message to you four and a half years ago now? Mm. Um, just keep the lights on, man. Like just, you know. But is, is it to open up? Is it to talk yeah. to people? Is yeah, it- I would just say hang in there at first. I'd be like, you know, four and a half years ago, I definitely would have said like, just wait a little bit longer. Like, he's got you. You're good. Um, but yeah, it's, it's you know, you said it a few times. It's vulnerability. It's, it's um, you know, now, unfortunately, vulnerability can be a punchline. You know, we talked about like people jumping on the bandwagon. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone talks about Brene Brown as if she's their best friend. <laughs> Um, I've read many of her books, not all of them. I'm not going to claim I have, but the ones that, I mean, I had a copy of Daring Greatly under my arm when I went to Hawaii. 
Um, and that's been a big part of my story. My, my now wife was reading that when we reconnected. So there's a, one of my best friends, Robbie here in town, he, he was reading a, it when, uh, when I first met him, there's a, there's a big story there. And all, what we've all gravitated toward is the idea that shame is not something that is, I believe it's not from God. It's something that we've created. Um, and it's not something that we should hide behind, mm-hmm. but being vulnerable and open is, I believe how we were made is to be who we are. And so I, I take that very seriously. And it's, look, it's hard, it's hard for me to sit here and talk to you knowing that no matter how many people are listening to this, we'll hear it, um, because that it, it is being vulnerable. And so many people now are saying, oh, I'm open, I'm vulnerable. And then they go up and do something completely contrary mm-hmm. to that. And, and that's, that doesn't help anyone. Um, but the folks that are doing it really well and who are being open are just remarkable people. There's there's a, a couple people in the sportswear apparel business that are really doing it well that are are open about men's men's particularly mental health, which is important because most men that I know and that's changing now a little bit, but most men that I know and have known are afraid because they don't want to be alone in it. Whether mm-hmm. it's depression or whether it's you know coming out or whether it's shame or something they've done in the past or mm-hmm. whatever it might be it's so difficult because they think they're alone and one of the things i've learned is that if if you open up and you talk to people you find out that they have a story which is their story and it could be equally as hurtful to them as yours was to you mm-hmm. and not everyone goes through this i mean there's people who've you know, been blessed with a great life but um, i find that more often than not there's men who come to the table going yeah i'm wounded in some way and just need a friend or a brother or, or something, and, and that to me is that's really where that's really where genuine connection happens. So, and that's really the purpose behind this podcast is having these conversations because we all have a story, and as you open up and you tell your story, you become more relatable, and people can start they'll go to back for you because they feel like they really know you instead of the surface level conversations that. So many people, that's the only thing they talk about. Right. How was your day? How are your kids? How's work? Things are great. They really aren't. You know? Yeah. And these are the conversations that hopefully will encourage maybe someone that was in your shoes four and a half years ago mm-hmm. to reach out to a lifelong friend, uh, yeah. you know, somebody they deeply cared about and start having those feelings and those conversations and those emotions that will hopefully in some way set them free of whatever they were yeah right yeah for sure um you know i i I told you about we've talked about hawaii quite a bit Mm -hmm. during that same trip the 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 family that i stayed with and i never stayed with like a i never did a shared room in airbnb it was like that was weird to me (laughs) but there was nothing available for for like a two-week stretch without having to jump multiple places i'm like okay and and to me it was a god thing i was there for a reason and like the third day or so, the woman, um, who was there, they were a retired couple, and, and she would make me Kona coffee every morning and slice fresh pineapple, and she was just the best. And she said, how are you doing? And I said, I'm great, thanks, coffee is delicious, thank you so much. And she just looked at me and said, no, seriously, how are you doing? And I just lost it. And she meant, how are you doing? Mm-hmm. Not in the blase, you know, just the way you say hi to people. And that taught me a lot of just being like, just be genuine. If yeah. you have to repeat yourself, repeat yourself and go, no, seriously, how are you doing? And that opened up me in a way that I was able to share with her. And uh, of course, she turned out to be a Christian, um, which was, you know, of course, in the cards for me. But that was just a special moment for me. Now, had I just said I'm fine and she moved on, I never would have connected with, with that family. And that's that's super important. So, yeah, it really is just being open yourself and, you know, and be okay with what comes your way. Yeah. Well, Cal... 
Thank you so much for coming, man. This has been a great conversation. We didn't even talk about branding too much. So. No, no. Hey, do you have any new tattoos ideas coming? Uh, ideas? Well, uh, yeah, I've got this this koi fish on my right arm that was never finished. Uh, I did it in Tokyo years ago, thinking I'd be coming back to my office there, and well, <laughs> wasn't, didn't come back. Um, so the whole like Japanese scene around it hasn't been been finished, but. Yeah, a lot of these all have meaning to me. Um, you know, my wife's name in Hebrew is here, and you know, this is a, a laurel leaf with uh, to me signifies freedom. There's mm -hmm. 21 leaves on it for the 21 years that I was lost. Uh, I wasn't at peace, and now I now I am. Uh, my wedding anniversary is on my wrist. So there's there's some ones that really have meaning. I've got six hibiscus flowers on my left arm. I had three for my three children, and um, when I met my three new children, mm -hmm. they said, "When are you going to get three for us?" Um, and so I, I did that as soon as I could and uh, they picked the one they wanted and, and so yeah they're all, they all have a lot of meaning to mm -hmm. me but new ones uh, we'll see yeah I love tattoos because it's a way for me to express feelings and emotions and connections that I've had <clears throat> over the years but Kyle thank you again man yeah thank you hopefully we can connect more I hope and, so uh, yeah this is fun we live right down the road that's right so maybe we'll go work out together let's do that <laughs> Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, click subscribe on your listening platform for upcoming conversations.